This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Welcome back to No Stop Lights. I want to thank our sponsors, Mickey Fins, Marlboro Pity Electric, Co-op, Schofields, Ace Hardware, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of Florence. It's easy for me to go a million miles an hour. It's hard for me to go 100 miles an hour. And by that, I mean it's hard to slow down and think things through and not be reactive and and not be uh, not not be as aggressively opinionated as I am about things. Uh, th- those who follow whatever it is we do here on the radio and now in the in the digital sphere with podcasting, I'm quick to make a judgment. I'm quick to decide that this is what the problem is. Here's what I suggest the solutions to be. Um, when I don't know, I don't know, and, and I'll make it clear that I don't know. But, but I wouldn't class, classify or categorize myself as cerebral. Now, now, I don't think I'm stupid. I'm, I'm certainly not real smart, but I don't think I'm, I'm stupid. There are some things that deserve, I don't want to say more serious consideration, but, but a more thoughtful effort in trying to understand the issue at hand, um, what, 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 what the principal ideas and notions are, and where do we go from here? Um, we, we, to some degree, as offended as I am by political theorists, and I'm talking about the academics, the hypothetical, theoretical version of American politics, I'm guilty of that. I mean, I, I really and truly, when I think about what I do and what I'm compensated to do, I, I politically theorize. I say, you know, here's what I think the problems with American politics are, and here's what I think some of the, um, some of the best answers and solutions could be. And I want to give fair warning. Uh, when you try to be cerebral after a um, few swallows of Celsius, 200 grams of caffeine infused to the, um, to the soul, right. and, a, um, and in a very direct way, it's like a, um, I don't want to say it's a shot of booze, but it's similar to that. And then I've got my, my Pepsi um, zero sugar here, zero sugar. But once again, um, uh, a certain amount of caffeine included in that. So, so, so let's hold on to this for a second. There are people who have made enormous fortunes giving opinions that I find very uninteresting. Doesn't matter what I find very uninteresting. The masses find those sorts of opinions, those sorts of pronouncements, um, marketable that they're, they're interesting. Maybe, um, just maybe it's because people aren't willing to give the effort it takes to understand the complexities of American politics in, in a way that, that I don't want to say I'm smarter than anybody because I'm certainly not, but, but, but I do have a, a keen and genuine interest in the complexities of American, of American politics. we got two major stories in American politics today. To, to, to me, it doesn't, take mo, mo, it doesn't take much to get emotionally invested in one or the other. If you hate Trump, it's easy to believe that Trump is the most uh, the most out of control president we've ever had in the White House. I mean, conformity be damned. He's not going to do things the way we've historically and traditionally done things. Those who believe in reverence and decorum and, and a genuine expectation of, I guess, quote unquote, presidents don't behave that way. You're you're bound to pile on. You're bound to find. You know what he did, offensive and and eventually um, criminal. You, you've got a um, for the first time in American history, we've got a an indictment of a former president by the federal government. Um, the unusuality, if that's a word of this, if not, we make it up anyway. If it is, um, then 
uh, the, the, the most unusual part of this story. It's not just so unusual that Trump is a former president being indicted for the first time in American history. It's the fact that he's the current front runner for re-election. So it's a political rival, a political foe. It's that uh, there's another ingredient in this story. But, but it takes some effort to start understanding the American Records Act. I mean, excuse me, the Presidential Records Act or the, uh, the Espionage Act or Obstruction of Justice, Conspiracy. Uh, you know, I, I think all of us understand classified information and declassified information. I think the majority of us understand um, what, what, you know, America's secrets don't, be, don't need to be out on the web. I mean, I think we would all accept um, some of that. Eric Snowden and Julian Assange come to come to mind. Um, that that's 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 it's it's a complicated issue if you choose to try and understand it at a greater level. But most Americans have decided before they study the, the Presidential Records Act or the Espionage Act. Most Americans have decided because they have a genuine knee-jerk reaction. I like that guy. I don't like that guy. And then you've got Joe Biden. Now, the media is not covering this story other than Fox News and conservative talk radio. You're not going to hear much about Joe Biden and whether or not he was bribed by a foreign government, a foreign national. Uh, there's a story out there, believe it or not, not in the mainstream. Um, in the last four days, the what I'd call the national media, ABC, CBS, NBC, we're not talking about print media because nobody reads that any longer. Uh, there was a day the Washington Post and New York Times and Wall Street Journal had influence on shaping the narrative in America, shaping the political discourse uh, in America. Now it's all digital, CBS, ABC, NBC. Don't care the weight they did, but they're still the major networks. And they're still very influential in helping shape the political debate. They've spent about 291 minutes um, telling the world about Trump's saga. They spent absolutely no time at all talking about Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, offshore bank accounts, LLCs, wire transfers, um, you know, money changing hands. Uh, a Biden grandkid has a uh, an offshore bank account. There are 15 LLCs in the Biden's family name. Once again, b- back to the Presidential Records Act, the Espionage Act, Donald Trump. It's easy to decide whether you like Trump or not. It, it takes a little more effort to try and understand what he's charged with. And and I and I I wonder. Well, I don't wonder. I don't question. I'm pretty sure that Americans don't have the seriousness it takes to give that a full review. Uh, they probably won't have the serious it takes if the story ever becomes mainstream that Joe Biden got rich peddling influence. Joe Biden got wealthy, the Biden family got wealthy transacting in, um, in, in peddling influence on behalf of the American um, government. I've got a theory on Biden. I think Biden's always believed um, that the only way he was going to get wealthy was to utilize or use his political influence uh barack obama who biden served as the vice president uh i I don't care much for obama's ideals and principles i don't think he was a good president at all i look at my health care invoice every month my health insurance invoice every month and i'm going i sucked but but i don't think anybody doubted whether or not he could make a lot of money i'm into the free market obama's a young charismatic articulate uh transformative political figure a lot of things going for barack obama where you believed he could financially benefit from life after being president. Bill Clinton would be another example of that, that these guys are very articulate, very bright. Uh, once again, I have vehement, passionate disagreements with their idea and notions of government, but, but, I, but I can't deny the fact that they're marketable. 
I mean, Bill Clinton was a marketable person. Uh, Barack Obama's probably, uh, in modern American history, the most marketable president in our lifetime. Uh, he was a young guy when he left office, had all the characteristics and traits of, you know, success in the free in the free market. And I think I think Joe Biden looked around and said, you know, I've been a politician all of my life. The only way I'm ever going to live above average means is to do things I probably shouldn't do, and that is to utilize my political influence in, in a way that advantages my family financially. Um, but but once again, to 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 really understand offshore bank accounts, uh, LLCs, and in, in Biden family's name, um, Burisma, the Ukrainian government, the uh, the, the, the Romanian oligarch. I mean, you're going to have to spend a little time better understanding that. So, so let's take those two separate major political stories as we speak, and, and let's go to something Tucker Carlson said yesterday. Because, because to me, I was talking to our producer, Josh, earlier today before we went on the air to do this, this podcast, some of the most successful people in life have the uncanny ability to not complicate things when they don't deserve complication. Let's use those two as an example. Do you like Trump or not? That's not complicated. Do you like Biden or not? That's not complicated. I mean, you can form an opinion on Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden in, in, a, in a New York minute. But, but if you give those two issues the consideration they deserve, it gets complicated. But it gets very complicated Uh, if you're able, and and most people aren't able to do this, if you're you're willing, better better way of saying that, if you're willing to put your political biases aside and honestly assert or or assess, if if you're honestly able to assess what what Trump did and come to some reasonable conclusion, that there will be a multitude of answers. There will be a multitude of avenues to travel down. Same thing with Joe Biden. Tucker Carlson, in my humble opinion, or not so humble opinion, is is one of the um probably one of the most interesting voices to come down, and I want to be careful with this word, um, conservative ah, punditry in a long time. Conservative, I mean, uh, Tucker opines on things conservative in nature. Uh, the interesting part of Tucker, and, and this is where I want to get in a second, the interesting part of Tucker is his willingness to accept responsibility that he was wrong. And in his latest, I guess I think they call it Tucker on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. It's pretty wild. He had about 4 million viewers nightly on Fox News in the 8 o'clock, eight o'clock time slot. I mean, he would have been batting cleanup for um, the most uh, the force du jour in conservative politics in America today. I think the last count was 106 or 8 or 10 million views. Now, let's not overstate views. A view could be click on and listen for 10 seconds and click back off. But it's still an astounding number of views in the first and second. I think the second was somewhere around 60 or 65 million um, views. Uh, Elon Musk has offered up that form to anybody of any political leaning or bias um, that can amass, uh, you know, a following. And Tucker has obviously got a large following. People care what Tucker says. Um, Truth be told, Tucker's one of the three or four people that I give a rat's ass as to what they say about Republicanism or, or government or, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, m- most of the other guys and ladies regurgitate things they've read on the National Review, in the Wall Street Journal, 
um, redstate.com. Uh, it's just not very interesting to me. It's just, I mean, it, I understand it. it it's, um, it's for the unserious. It's to be consumed by the, the unserious. But, but Tucker said yesterday, and we touched on this a little bit this morning. Tucker said yesterday, and I'm paraphrasing here, not very loosely, but, but Tucker said yesterday that the moment Donald Trump on a debate stage in 2016 said the Iraq war was a mistake, they lied to you, and they knew they were lying to you, was the day that he had to be dealt with. Now, now, once again, does Tucker believe that with every fiber of his being? You have to ask Tucker. I don't know. I mean, I don't think Tucker says things he doesn't mean or believe, but Tucker does what I do. Tucker has to combine um, some degree of entertainment, provocateur, um, to, to garner an audience, to gain a response, to be relevant in the world of, of opinion giving and, and punditry. But, but when Tucker says that the reason Donald Trump has been investigated, has been impeached, has been indicted, has been arraigned, will eventually be tried for um, trials or, excuse me, crimes, including uh, mishandling classified information. Everybody does it. Everybody has done it. I mean, if I'm Trump, that would be my defense on, uh, you know, Clinton set the precedent. Bush set the precedent. Obama set the precedent. Sure, I mishandled classified information. Who didn't? I mean, at least I'm a former president mishandling classified information. I'm not a former Secretary of State. I'm not a former Vice President. I didn't have them um, in a garage with a Corvette. I mean, that that the, the double standard would be clearly, clearly the best avenue to make that that argument. Um, I, I don't believe for a second that Trump could be found guilty of the Espionage Act because I don't think Trump for a second been, can be accused of being unpatriotic. I mean, he could be accused of being a horse's ass and narcissistic and a lot of other things. But you're going to have a hard time convincing, I think, 12 peers, 12 jurors, that Donald Trump is treasonous or a traitor and would sail the country down the river. I just don't buy into that. And I think the Espionage Act, there'll be some debate about what, you know, uh, once again, the complexities of what of what that law means. But, I mean, my interpretation willfully or intentionally harm the United States of America. Um, if Donald Trump had top-secret defense-related material and that information got in the hands of a, uh, a foreign government agency or a member of the media and Trump personally gained and there was willful intent there. I was talking about grossly negligent. It's kind of interesting. When Comey basically admitted that Hillary Clinton committed a crime, he said, but she inadvertently did it. I mean, it was grossly negligent. No doubt she broke the law, but she didn't intentionally nor willfully. Um, Trump's probably as grossly negligent <laughs> as any as any president we've had, and I mean that in a complimentary fashion, he's, um, you know, he doesn't have a, a bug up his butt about, you know, well, the way bureaucracies and, and government agencies uh, wish to do things. But, but, but let, let's go back to the macro of all macros. I mean, if, if Trump is the centerpiece, I mean, if Trump is the conversation of modern-day politics, I mean, there, there's no doubt about it, who is the most dominant force in American politics today? Donald Trump. I mean, Ron DeSantis is a very credible and worthy foe. I think DeSantis will eventually close the gap in the Republican primary between Donald Trump and, and DeSantis. But it's all about, I mean, Chris Christie's running against Trump. DeSantis is running as an alternative to Trump. Uh, the media says anybody but Trump. And there's kind of an evolution. The, the establishment Republican eventually turns into a never-Trumper. The never-Trumper eventually turns into a Democrat. And the, this, the former establishment Republican turned never-Trumper turned Democrat 
ends up on CNN or MSNBC. I mean, that, that's the evolution. That's the way this thing uh, plays out. So eventually, Chris Christie will probably end up, uh, you know, a pundit on ABC, NBC, CBS. Well, I think he's already had a gig at, at uh, ABC News on the George Stephanopoulos show. That's the unbiased um, anchor of this week, formerly of David Brinkley. So so the, the former Clinton communications director is now the unbiased anchor of CBS News. Okay, I get it. Um, anyway, that may explain the 291 minutes of covering Trump and the zero minutes of covering um, of covering Joe Biden. But I want to go back to Tucker. Because Tucker doesn't say, I mean, Tucker really tries to explain. He, he tries to go back in the beginning, uh, Genesis 1-1. You know, why, 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 did, why did the left not hate nor despise Donald Trump? In fact, he, he was a bit celebrated. I mean, he was an open-minded business guy, you know, from Queens. His father was a marginal real estate developer, slumlord. Uh, he goes over to Manhattan. He builds buildings. He puts his name on it. He's brash. He's bold. He's a narcissistic, he's egotistical, he's irreverent. I mean, he's a lot of things to a lot of different people, but he was not a threat to democracy. I mean, he was never considered a threat to democracy. I've heard Donald Trump called a lot of things. I've never heard Donald Trump called a threat to democracy. Uh, when Oprah Winfrey interviewed him or, or you know, whomever. I mean, the, the, the media, he was kind of a media darling. Uh, you're fired. The Apprentice was a highly rated NBC um, weekly show. But the day, and Tucker makes the argument that the day Donald Trump said that they lied to you about Iraq and enough of these stupid wars, enough of these crazy wars, was the day that um, the body politic, the powerful people in powerful places, had to deal with him in a very different sort of way. And it's the reason he's been impeached. It's the reason he's been attacked. It's the reason he's been indicted. It's the reason he's been arraigned. It's the reason we'll have one of the most high-profile political slash ah, celebrity cases in the history of mankind because Trump is a celebrity. I mean, there's no question about it. Someone asked me uh, a while back, is he a bigger politician than celebrity? Good question. I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. I can't imagine um, a leading role in a movie or sitcom or a weekly show bigger than the American presidency. I mean, if you've got the top-rated show on television, you still don't get to work in the Oval Office. You don't get to reside in the White House. So, so I think breaking through those barriers. But, but, but I, the point I want to make is this. Once again, you've got a, a simple opinion of Trump. You've got a simple opinion of Biden. That, that there are complications as, as you try to find out more about Biden, find out more about Trump and these two stories, Tucker is saying, forget that. I mean, when it comes to Trump, don't remember but one thing, because this is all that matters. Forget Mar-a-Lago. Forget, you know, um, uh, classified information. Forget uh, moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. Forget securing the border. Forget some of the crazy things he said that he didn't do. Forget some of the things that he said he would do and did. And did do. And I think on, on, on average, Trump's presidency was successful. I mean, I don't think there's any question. When you look at Donald Trump's presidency, there's a lot there that conservatives should be proud of. But Tucker really tries to say, hey, guys, I mean, th th there are a hundred things to discuss. There are a hundred things to debate. But at the end of the day, when Donald Trump was perceived to be a legitimate threat to the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about was the day that he had to be dealt with very differently. And I went back and looked at some data and 
when I mean, th- th- there are four line items in our budget at about a trillion bucks. I mean, our, our federal budget is about six point four trillion dollars. We're raising about five and a half trillion. We're spending about a trillion. We don't have. I mean, for argument's sake, a trillion is a thousand billion. A billion is a thousand million. So we're talking about a thousand thousand million dollars. That there are four line items: Medicare, Medicaid. Social Security and defense spending that consume what seventy five percent of our budget, and then you've got debt service. I mean, we're not paying off debt; we're simply servicing the debt. Uh, when we refinance at newer and higher rates, that number will creep closer to a trillion dollars. Rand Paul talks a lot about that. Uh, former Governor of South Carolina Mark Sanford talks a lot about that. Uh, the debt hawk, the deficit hawk, is few and far, fewer and far between than they've ever been in the Republican Party. But when you look at when you look at Medicare, I mean, with clarity, we understand. I mean, we understand who gets the Medicare money, right? I mean, it, it goes to the healthcare community. I mean, they, you know, I, I would imagine if it run by the private sector, we could do it better and more efficient and cheaper and and get better outcomes. But but the government is the um, it's the only entity, I guess, that could uh, facilitate what needs to be done in regards to that. Medicaid is growing. Um, really and truly probably faster as we speak. Uh, maybe not today because so many people, I take 10,000 people daily are turning 65 years old, becoming Medicare eligible. Um, when, when the Obamacare legislation passed, it was praised as insuring, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who didn't have insurance. All it did was place those people on the rolls of Medicaid. I mean, it's government subsidized health care. It's not like somebody, you know, hey, I, I understand that um, there's this new program out, and I need to find out more. Um, I've got my checkbook in my pocket. I don't have health care. I'm ready to pay a premium. No, it was government subsidized. I mean, it was it was free health care is what it was, and it placed more and more and more people on um, on the rolls of Medicaid. And, and then you've got um, Social Security. It's an entitlement plan. I mean, you, you, I understand that the argument is, well, I paid in. It's not an entitlement. It is an entitlement plan. You paid in, and you're entitled to receive a benefit from that investment you made into the government, but, but, but th- th- those are social welfare plans and we can debate the size and scope. We can argue about, we're spending too much money on Medicare. We need to raise the retirement age. Uh, you know, we need to, uh, some, some requalifiers on Medicaid. Those are legitimate ideological debates about what government should or should not do. But, but the military industrial complex budget this year, and I understand that 3% of GDP, three and a half percent of GDP as a percentage of GDP. It's still $886 billion annually that we invest in the American military industrial complex. And I went back and read a lot of what Eisenhower said in his farewell address when he warned about the military industrial complex. I looked at the 10 wealthiest counties in America. I mean, I just Googled 10 wealthiest counties in America. Silicon Valley, you would expect that, right? Upper West Side of Manhattan. You would expect that. I mean, the, the, those are, I mean, there have been enormous fortunes won and lost in Silicon Valley uh, with this technology boom and, and, and Wall Street. I mean, you would expect Wall Street to be a place where people are motivated to make a lot of money, make a lot of money, and, and report a lot of income. The, 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 I mean, the, there's nothing surprising. In fact, I believe America at its best is when Silicon Valley is, is the most affluent population, the risk takers, the, the, the technological advances that we've made 
um, and, and the way we communicate one another and, and the way we, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm thinking about Apple watches and I'm thinking about these crazy devices that I've got in my hand, this, the screen I'm looking at. I mean, all those are directly and indirectly byproducts of Silicon Valley and, and the great technological advances we made. I mean, obviously communicating the way we do is not just all I mean, you know, um, the, the, some of the technology from electric vehicles, what was born out of Silicon Valley, uh, Wall Street, once again, investment and BlackRock and Vanguard and, and Goldman Sachs and the others. I mean, they're motivated by profit. But, but the question I'd pose for us, and I think this is where Tucker uh, is really trying to get at. If five of the 10 wealthiest counties, most affluent counties in America are Loudoun, Virginia, Falls Church, Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia, Howard County, Maryland, Arlington County, Virginia, What's so special about those five counties? I mean, I think we all understand what's unique about Silicon Valley, what's unique about uh, Wall Street, what, what's unique about some of the commerce centers in America. What's so damn special about Loudoun, Virginia? Why are people in Loudoun, Virginia doing so much better than the average American? Why are people in Falls Church, Virginia doing so much better than the average American? Fairfax County, uh, Howard County, Arlington County, the average income, of a taxpayer in those five counties is somewhere in the neighborhood of $120,000. That's about 2.35 times more than the national average. Why is that? Well, once again, I think we all understand that the, you know, the, 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 the free market capitalism, that day. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, I get it. The, the really bright motivated people in Silicon Valley. I mean, they're, they're going to naturally make more money in a free market economy driven by uh, capitalism or the animal instincts of um the, the primitive animal, animal instincts of, um, of capitalism, but but why are those five counties so affluent? Are those five counties so affluent because we disperse about a trillion dollars a year to Medicare? Are those five counties that affluent because we disperse about a trillion dollars a year to Medicaid, to Social Security, debt service? I mean, who's getting rich off debt service? I mean, the financiers, the financialization of our economy. Uh, the, the Fed buys the debt, uh, Wall Street finances some of it. it, it it's intricate. It's, 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 uh, it's complicated. But, but, but imagine if you are one that depends on the existence of the military-industrial complex. I mean, how many, how many people in these five counties? I don't know the answer to this, but I think that's the question Tucker's asking. If you are a, if you're associated or affiliated with the defense contractor, and you're living in Loudoun, Virginia. You're living in Falls Church, Virginia. You're living in Fairfax, Virginia. You're living in, in Howard County, Maryland. You're living in Arlington County, Virginia. You're making two and a half times the average income. And along comes this guy that says, these wars are crazy. I mean, they, they, these wars are senseless. They're, you know, the Middle East is less stable today. How many countries, how many potential countries could be an existential threat to American safety and security. Who's keeping the tabs in Ukraine? I mean, we're sp spending another billion and another billion and another billion and another billion, and it goes to Ukraine. I mean, it's taxpayer dollars. It's taxpayer and borrowed dollars is what it is. But, but who is keeping the tab? Who's keeping accounting of what they're doing with the money that we send to Kiev? And I, I just think that we're, we're nearing, and I like to say this because it's a bit provocative, and I think it's accurate. Neoconservatism has failed the average American. 
the the military industrial complex has served excuse me has failed the average american interventionism in general has failed the average american and many americans are now coming to grips with this reality that they have been a believer in this investment we make in our military because the world's a dangerous place and america has to lead america has to take um, center stage uh, when you when you proclaim that it it sounds I mean, it sounds reasonable. I mean, say this out loud. The world is a dangerous place, and America must make enormous investments in making sure the world is safer. And whether we like it or not, we've accepted and embraced the responsibility of keeping order in the world. I mean, how many times have you heard this? You know, America can't afford to be the world's police. But we have. I mean, we really and truly, it's been a quite expensive tab, but that's what we've done. As much as we say to ourselves, we can't afford to be the world's police. We've done it year after year after year after year. And and I, I've said this on the podcast before, and I'll say it again. I learned in politics very early on that money's the answer. Now what's the question? And I think when you question why Donald Trump has been so persecuted, why, why, I mean, okay, he's an outlandish American president. Bill Clinton left semen stains on a blue dress. Pretty damn outlandish, isn't it? I mean, in all honesty, I mean, let's go through some of the characteristics of American, of American presidents. Huh? I mean, how many of those folks haven't been pretty outlandish, to be honest with you? But, but Donald Trump did something that is so forbidden. Forget taboo. I mean, this is forbidden. He challenged the military-industrial complex. He challenged the notion of American imperialism. And, you know, some out there in, um, in America First Land refer to America now as an empire in decline. I mean, I've never referred to my home nation as an empire, but I think you've got to really begin to consider what Tucker said. That there is a there is a central issue that motivated so many people to destroy Donald Trump and his presidency, and it was not about keeping the world a safer place. It was not about national security. It, it was not about having more Tomahawk missiles than, than the next nation. It was not about having a better equipped um, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. It was about these five counties where people live who were directly affiliated or associated with this ginormous government expenditure. I mean, imagine this, guys. We, we said a second ago, a trillion is a thousand billion. A billion is a thousand million. And every year, the government makes an investment of somewhere in the neighborhood of $1 trillion in the military-industrial complex in the name of neoconservatism. I'm a Republican. I'm a convert. I, I for, for most of my life, being aware, I mean, I didn't register to vote until I was 40, ran for office at 40, I got elected county council, got elected lieutenant governor. And if you'd asked me, hey, what camp do you fall in? I said, I, you know, I'm a conservative. No, a little more specific. I'm a neocon. I mean, I, I do believe that America has a responsibility, whatever it costs, to make the world a better place, to keep the world a safer place. But I'm beginning to believe now that the, 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 the trillion dollars of a year 
is not about making the world a better place. It's not about making America a safer place. Do I believe national security is important? Of course I do. Do I believe there are dangers around the world? Yes. Do I, do I believe that, uh, you know, uh, that, that there's a mindset of the Middle East that wishes to cause America harm? Yeah. Do, do I believe that, that communism in Russia is a threat to American safety and security? Yeah. Uh, communism in China. Do I believe we have to always be aware and on guard about the threats, the existential threats, the real ones, not Trump? I'm talking about the real existential threats to America, safety and security, the China, the Russia. But, but yeah, but I think we've also got to accept that when someone came along and challenged the status quo and how much money we spend in the name, and once again, I don't buy this. I think it's all about money. And I think Loudoun, Virginia is full of people who have benefited far more than we can imagine in the name of defense spending. I think Falls Church, Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia, Howard County, Maryland, Arlington County, Virginia. Maybe these people believe they're doing God's work, but maybe they believe that, that they're sincerely dedicating themselves to a career that advances humankind in, 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 a, in, a, in a peaceful and meaningful way. But, but you've also got to accept that there's, there's kind of a revolving door here. You've got defense contractors. You've got consultants. You've got lobbyists. You got candidates for office. You got think tanks. You got uh, websites. You got uh, other think tanks, and it, and, it, and it's just so, how much of that money stirs around, and how much benefit does America really gain from spending a trillion dollars a year in the name of national defense? I guess the question I'm posing, and, and I don't think I mean I, I don't think Trump's a pacifist. I know I'm not. I don't think Tucker is a pacifist, but I think a lot of Republicans are waking up to the stark reality that the military-industrial complex and neoconservatism in general is more about who gets rich, what defense contractor gets the bid, how many consultants and lobbyists were involved, how many bonuses do they get for promoting not safety and security, but American imperialism. And you've got an issue with Biden that's an important issue, a serious issue. Was he or was he not bribed? You've got a trial coming with a former president, current frontrunner in the Republican Party. And I think you've got to ask yourself, where is the point of contention? I mean, where, where's the epicenter of the fault line? Where did all this begin? When Trump shows up in 16 and became the most unconventional candidate of my lifetime, when and who made their minds up that he couldn't be president the first time and he damn sure can't be president the second time? And I think Tucker's over the target. I mean, I really think Tucker is, well, when Tucker says that, that Trump is an anti-war president, he's an anti-defense spending, because I don't think they perceive war. I think they perceive defense spending. And I'd love to be in an industry that was guaranteed every budget a trillion dollars is coming your way. I mean, imagine that, guys. I mean, imagine if you are an employee of an industry or a sector of the economy that you know every year they're not arguing about whether you get $200 billion or $400 billion. They're arguing about whether you get $800 billion, 3% of GDP, or a trillion, 4.5% of GDP. Pretty damn good business to be in. And, and I think we, we, we are beginning as a party to evolve. I, I like to say, will the last neocon turn the lights off? I am for a political movement that makes as its priority the American worker, the American family, and the American way of life. And I think those 
are fundamentally in opposition to what the American military industrial complex. I think it's about power, influence, greed, controlling the world, exporting imperialism, forcing people to behave as American leadership desires them to behave and that ain't what I signed up for. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC Schofields, Ace Hardware, your one-stop shop for all hardware, paint and lawn and garden needs, plus all things sporting goods, including firearms, safes, clothing, footwear, and more. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies. Pepsi of Florence also serve brands from other great companies, such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler, serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including williams Bryce and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center. Uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at mpdcoop or pdec.com.